the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As believers, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome to the Believer's Journey. It's a brand new year, 2024, and we should be blessed and doing well. And like I said in my last, uh, a week ago, we need to live rejoicing with joy in the Lord. And I think that's a a big theme I think I'm going to have this year, along with living in holiness. Anyway, today we're going to have a really good program. It's going to be another Bible uh, questions on the fly. This is going to be our 18th one. My guest is a really good friend of mine. Her name is Valerie. And Valerie is in one of my classes uh, most of the time. And uh, she loves to talk and she has all kinds of views and questions and she might even bring some of her own today. (laughs) So anyway, uh, say hello. and Hi, how are you? Just tell everybody about yourself. Well, um, let's see. I just retired, like uh, going on three years. I I retired from University Hospital, worked in trauma, uh, and I was doing the medical uh, coding for the databank, uh, the research and I just was there for, for a period of time, and then I just decided I wanted to just retire and just uh, start serving the Lord any way I knew how. And now she wants to go back to work. Now I'm ready to go back. <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend. He's really funny. His name is David. And um, he, when we had water beds, and he had to put this blue called aqua blue in the water to, so it didn't mold didn't grow he owned that company wow. he also owned before that and after that gold and silver coin stores from okay. wealthy beyond belief wow. and he, he would sell a, a, a company he'd retire you know then he'd get bored and start another company this is how he got these things the little uh, stretchy things that go on water beds on the corners. He started that one, sold oh, wow. to Walmart, and and then you know, uh, then we started another wow. coin store and, and so forth, and got his son into it. Now his son is running it, and it's just so funny. So he gets bored after five years. He's I'm I'm ready to go back to work. He starts another company. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do get tired when you retire. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like uh, what do I do now? I don't know how many companies he's had, and he's only your age, actually. Uh. So, but it's really cool. He's a good entrepreneur. He wants to keep it going. Yeah. Sharp. So anyway, let's get going to start our questions. Sure. Okay. Let me put my eyes on here. All right. This one's going to be from Texas. How is the Bible put together? Did they take the Old Testament books and then add them to the New Testament books? And then Scott's second question. Oh, well, let's just start with the first okay. one. Okay. Okay, so read that again. Mm-hmm. How is the Bible put together? Did they take the Old Testament books and then add them to the New Testament okay. books? Well, no, they didn't do it that way. Um, actually, a lot of people don't know this, but back in about 180 AD, they tried to put together Scripture as a as a Bible. 
and it really didn't solidify itself until finally uh, when the Council of Nicaea met, and this is in the fourth century, uh, I believe it was, mm -hmm. and they what the way they put the Bible together was they got all the scriptures that were written, and there's a lot more. This is going to be a second question you're getting into anyway. That's oh, good. Should okay. I just ask it? They they um they got all the, the writings together and they, they had a standard. And this is what I think is important. They had a standard. And if the writings didn't meet that standard of mm -hmm. scripture, mm -hmm. then they would not consider it as part of the what they call canonized scripture, which we call the Bible. Right. Okay. So as they put these things together, then you had the Old Testament from all the writings that they had, less some writings, okay? Mm -hmm. And then you had the New Testament, less some writings. Now, some of the New Testament mm -hmm. writings that we don't see in our Bible were written. Uh, you have like the Gospel of Mary or Matthew and stuff like that. Not Matthew, but um, other ones. And uh, they didn't enter them in. And some of them is because they weren't, they weren't legitimate. Right. And people today think they might be. But they were written by those Gnostics maybe 100, 150 mm -hmm. years later. Right. So it goes into the second question, like okay. you're getting into, you're already explaining it. They're, they were asking, um, how did they determine what books to include in the Bible, which is what you're asking. Right. So they have a standard and they had to meet that standard um, of scripture. And that's basically how they did that. That's why it's why they call it the canon. It's a standard. Mm -hmm. of, and then it says, why is a Protestant, Protestant and Catholic Bible different? Oh, <laughs> Well, now this is really interesting. The um, and I bet you a lot of Catholics, a lot of Protestants, basically don't know this. Mm -hmm. But back in the uh, Castle of Nicaea, back in around what three hundred some odd A.D., when they put the Bible together and canonized it, that Bible is what is the Protestant Bible today. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the Catholic Bible. The it was a Catholic. It was the Catholics that put it together. I know. I know. And they added those extra six or so, eight books. I forget. So what happened was it maintained itself until about the 1500s, so over a thousand years. That was the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then Martin Luther came around and Martin Luther did his 95 thesis. And then that did a whole uproar. And it we know it as the Reformation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the Protestant churches started opening up and, and divide, you know, separating from the Catholic Church. Well, this is where the difference is. In, I believe, the Council, the Nicene Council, mm -hmm. I think that they put that Bible together based on seeking of the Holy Spirit and the right motives, which I think is really important. I agree, too. And uh, I think the extra book, I say extra books, the ones that are in the Catholic Bible, I know, is there more history? They're not like it's. I don't think it was from the Holy Spirit. It's more history related. We find out history. Some of it could be Holy Spirit or just man, you know, writing their stuff, which is they do that anyway. But I'm just saying, I don't think that uh, the Catholic part is is inspired. A lot of it's just like history, correct? Well, the the writings that they call that they've added into in the 1500s, which became the Catholic Bible is what we call the Apocrypha. Mm -hmm. And there's about 12 or 14 or 17 books. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not just the Catholic Church that has these extra books. You have the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox also have many of the same books. Not all of them are exactly the same. You might have one or two books that are left out or added or so forth. So, But the Catholic and Orthodox churches are pretty much the same when it comes to the Scripture. They have those 
those that apocrypha. Why the, now? I really think the apocrypha is really bad because all those writings, most if not all of the writings, were actually were Old Testament type writings, and they, a lot of them have a lot to do with uh, angel worship, right. praying for the dead. That's, you know, things like that. I, think it's yes, we, I remember you said that. And they even mentioned purgatory. Pur- in says, the, I noticed purgatory. that from that um, Maccabees. Yeah. I so, so basically, you know, you have you have a problem because those that Apocrypha literally contradicts the other scriptures. In the it's Bible. true. It does. I, I totally agree with you. So if this is God's word, then it should make sense that God's word should be the same. That's what they're asking. Yeah. So basically, if we go back to the very beginning, Council of Nicaea, mm-hmm. when they put together the Bible, the only hard book they really did, had a hard time with was the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. mostly because they didn't understand the book. Oh, right. And we're still de- dealing with it, but we're getting better. <laughs> we're getting closer to understanding it all. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's back to that standard. Do the books match up to that standard? When you go to the Apocrypha, no, they don't. No. They don't match that standard. And that's where we have the problem. If it doesn't match that standard, just because they want to be different, the Catholic Church and want to be different from the Protestant Church doesn't give you, you know, a good ticket to add in the books when the Jews in the Old Testament, you know, denounced them. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would you think they denounced them? Because they weren't right. They didn't meet their standard. So I why agree. do you think they would meet our standard? It I, just doesn't It's meet too it. contradictory. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Uh, this one here, another question. It's from Turkey. And it says, how is it that you believe that Yeshua is a deity? You know, I, I have read a lot and I get a lot of information or writing on this that Jesus is not God. Jesus is God. And where do you find this? And he was the son of God. I mean, back and forth. Um, but the scriptures, are, I think, are pretty clear. When you go to Colossians and say that Jesus left, I think it's in chapter one, he left the throne of glory and came down to earth you know and so right there tells you something when you go to to john our first chapter in the beginning was the word word was with god word was god but when you skip down to verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us who are we talking about jesus absolutely yeah i just uh the thing i think a lot of people just want to hear him say i'm god he yeah. does say it, but he doesn't say it in our American language we'd like to hear it in. Well, he, yeah, because the reasons why the Jews wanted to um, kill him was for blasphemy, for right. claiming to be God. That's right. You know, when he when he said that, when he had the big discussion with them. He could forgive and, sins and all. And, and mm-hmm. they mentioned about Abraham, and he said that he was before Abraham. I know. <laughs> You're not even You're 50 not, years old. Yeah. How do you know well, Abraham? Before Abraham, I am, mm-hmm. when they picked up the rocks to kill him. Why? Right. Because he was blasphemy. He was claiming to be deity. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have several of those areas. You know, Jesus didn't stand up and said, I am God. I mean, if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to find it. Right. You're not going to find it. The closest one, I think, was when he was in front of, um, was it Pontius Pilate? Or he said, uh, um, you say I am, you said it. You're yeah. the son of God. And he says, well, you said I am. You right. say I am. That's the closest that he actually came and said it clear enough. But it still was kind of like, I think God just 
I think Jesus did this on purpose because he didn't want, he wanted us to use faith to believe in everything he did and and to come to him and just to know. Maybe. I I think also he did it to uh, make his ministry continue. Yes. You know, that's probably why he spoke in parables because Mm -hmm. they can't, they couldn't kill him or, or blame him on anything or get to him if he spoke be taught in a parable because a parable is a story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's true. I never thought know. of it like that, though. That's yeah. true. But even when um, he'd say, well, the, when the Messiah is coming, he's speaking in, in Nazareth, you know, he read the scroll. And he says, today this day has come true. The scriptures come true. And he's speaking himself there again. They're going after him because blasphemy. Blasphemy, yeah. So there are many times that, uh, that you'll see that the Jews want to kill him because of blasphemy. Right, and because he he called them out. Yeah, he just called them out for what they were, and they just didn't like it. They wanted to get rid yeah. of it because they liked the power. I think, and you know, when when it talks about only God can forgive sins, and He forgave sins, and He says, "Well, how much harder is it to make a person heal a person than to forgive Give sins?" sins. Mm-hmm. I mean, He did a lot of these things that the undertone was obvious that He's has the claim of being deity. Right. Right. Yes. But he did it in such a a neat way that he got to accomplish his ministry at the same time, but but not being just so blunt with an argument. He just did it in in a gracious way of of teaching. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Well, he called people out when they were when they needed to be called out. The other thing too in 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 the Gospel of John, where it says uh, after verse one, it goes into that the word uh, created all things and through him all things were created. And we know that God is the creator of all things. Mm-hmm. So if we're taking the word dwelt with us and among flesh and the word is Jesus, and that means Jesus is part of that that is our creator. Mm-hmm. And that that's huge. Right. Yep, because he said he was the word. Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's an ample amount of scripture that points to the fact that Jesus is deity. Yes, I agree with you. I agree, but I think it's just people don't want to believe it. Of course, that's they're they're going to have that. Well, yeah, because people want to live in in, in uh, legalism and works, and that way you don't have to have a. Right. And they want to believe just the way they were brought up. Well, you don't have to be accountable to somebody. Right, that's true. And, and the whole idea of God being a, a figure, Jesus being that. It's that accountability, and a lot of people don't want that accountability. Well, that's absolutely true. But I also think, don't you agree with me, that maybe uh, it was because, um, you know, we're brought up a certain way, we have a culture, and we're, we want to stick with the way we were brought up. We're not, and otherwise, if, if I was to have been believing the way I was brought up, I would have never found the Lord, you know? So I had to really search my soul and search and, and, and reach out and, and search for truth. You know, and I think we all do that when we find Jesus. Yeah, I was really fortunate. I, um, when I became a Christian about a year or less than a year after I became a Christian, I was 16. I moved out of my home into my car, into a pastor's home, basically. And I learned a lot from that pastor. He became my surrogate father. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so by living You were very there, blessed to get shepherded, right? Oh, yeah. Me too. I had that same experience. So... Yeah, yeah that's, that's, I was I was blessed. A lot of people don't; they're not as fortunate to get the shepherding. Yeah, you know, if you don't get the shepherding, it's kind of hard to grow. You're stuck. Yeah. You're, you're on your own. I was an angry teenager, so it, it really <laughs> was was good that I moved in with a and had him as a mentor, father, yes. pastor. I was blessed too. I had an awesome friend um, 
that I met, and she had her uh, she she graduated seminary, and she just she and she's a counselor. She just and she's so humble, and I just she just took me on, and then I had another person from a church that just shepherded me and kind of taught me everything. I mean everything from the regular. Uh, non-denomination to Pentecostal. Anyway, it was just awesome. I was very blessed to get it all. (laughs) Okay, should we ask another one? Sure. Okay, uh, this one, this is going to be from Pakistan. And it says, please explain what it means to repent and be born again. Okay. So, let me me talk about the misnomer of, of repentance. A lot of people feel like and believe that to repent is to say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. is to feel bad about what you've done. Uh, but the word repent literally means to turn around, mm-hmm. it's to go the other way. Yes. So. Make a U-turn, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so to repent is to, is let's say you're walking a certain direction. Uh, let's say you're, you're doing drugs. So to repent from drugs is to turn away from drugs and not do them anymore. That's actual repentance. Mm-hmm. So if I'm living a lifestyle, now I think Christian repentance is different than just plain out repentance. For example, if I'm a, you know, sinner and I'm a sinner, I do all these drugs, alcohol, mess around with women, all that stuff. Well, if I quit all that, I repented, but it doesn't mean I become a believer or a Christian. And there's a lot of people who give up everything bad and think that they're, since they're now doing good. Get legalistic on them. Yeah. I believe that Christian repentance is this, that you're walking a certain direction in life, your own, mm-hmm. you know, whoever your God is, yourself, something else, someone else, whatever it might be, is the direction you're going. Christian repentance is to turn around from that and go the direction that Jesus wants us to walk. So if he wants us to come toward him, go whatever direction it might be, that is true Christian repentance. It's turning around from direction and going the direction Jesus calls us to. Right. Now, along with repentance, I do think it's important to understand that uh, the ingredients of a repentance is to recognize that you've done wrong, that you are a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe it's to feel remorse. I think that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And he, he, he starts yeah. up. Doesn't condemn you. He um, convicts you. Yeah. He convicts you of your sin, and that's when we, that's when you know you're saved. Is when you're convicted of your sin instead of just living your old life, right? Yeah. You know, so that that's what I always say. Yeah, and then it's about you know making the choice. Mm-hmm. However, I know a lot of I know I know some people who started to follow Jesus at a young age, four or five years old. Yeah. They don't have that kind of background. No. So you can't really tell them you need to feel sorry yeah, if true. you didn't feel yeah, sorry. Because they don't have that. They don't have that. But they did have the sense enough to turn the direction that Jesus wants them to walk and walk that way. And that really is. Yes. So that's repentance. Now, to be born again literally means to be born of God. It's to become a new creation, a new creature, a new somebody, basically born of holiness, born of what God has created you to be. And so you turn around from your direction, you follow the direction Jesus has sent you, and you become a new person in Jesus. That's awesome. You explained it very well. Um, Another one? Sure. From Israel, uh, what is the difference between Judaism and Christianity? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've avoided this on that, that question on that program forever. <laughs> so I, I, I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that are just 
not going to take this at all because I'm a, I'm anyway. Okay, well let's have it. I'm curious. So Christianity, <laughs> the real the real name for Christianity is Judeo Christian. Okay, mm-hmm. because we get our roots from Judaism. Okay. Now. The difference between Christianity and Judaism today is like night and day. It's just far from each other because Judaism and Christianity from its roots have, have deviated from that. Right. But if you take Judaism from the beginning, from its core, you know, like the Ten Commandments, I taught on the Ten Commandments and, and I truly believe the Ten Commandments are all about a relationship with God. You take the first bunch of them all relationship with God then the last bunch is all about our relationship with one another how we need to live a righteous and moral life with God with one another in society to benefit our relationship with God and one another Mm -hmm. so that's and and too many people teach it as a legalistic law thing and it's not Mm -hmm. but it's changed from that and I think that's why Jesus had a problem with when he would heal on the Sabbath, or you're breaking the Sabbath. It's like, right. no, he's not. Yeah, they were just going straight down the book and saying this is Well, what you it's because be. they rewrote a lot of the laws. They let the scribes interpret them, and it, so it, mm-hmm. it, it altered the law. And the law itself was it got created. just too confusing, and they couldn't even blink without sinning, right? Pretty much. And we do the same thing as Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. We have the, all, all these legalistic ways. And we've done the same thing. And um, so I really believe that when we when we look at Judaism, Judaism is all about having faith in God, walking a righteous life, living in holiness. There's no difference between that and Christianity. That's exactly no, it's what it's just it is. that Jesus came to fulfill the law. That's what the Christians well, that we believe in Jesus. That's 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 the difference right there, I think, right? The problem is Jesus came to fulfill the law doesn't mean the law goes away. Right. And a lot of people think it goes away because of that. And that's totally false. Right. You said I didn't Now, the only part of the law that goes away is the ceremonial law because Jesus completed that on the cross. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we no longer have to go and, and, and sacrifice animals and do all the things the ceremonial law does because Jesus became the lamb of sacrificial lamb for us now and forever. Right. However, the civil law, the moral law, all those things, judicial law, those are intact. Mm -hmm. I mean, to say we don't follow the law, so is it okay to murder? Is it okay to rape? Is it okay to to slander people? No. No. That's the law. It's about honoring people. Right. It's about loving God with all your heart. That's the law. Mm -hmm. So, in essence, that's that's Christianity. What people don't realize is that when Jesus was here on earth, mm-hmm. he he created his little church, but it wasn't separate from Judaism. So when you have Jesus ascending in, into you know the heavens, when he ascended, and they're all in the upper room, and they all had tongues of fire, and Peter went out and preached on the day of Pentecost, you had people from all different areas, and he spoke... And they understood him in his own language. We all is how we get Pentecost. Mm-hmm. However, it says five thousand were saved. These were all Jews. The teaching is that, that Jesus is the, the Jewish Messiah. Yes. So these Jews started following mm-hmm. Jesus. So it wasn't Christianity; it was Judaism. So back then, you had five different denominations, like. Sadducee, Pharisee, so Zionist, so forth. 
and you had these five different denominations. So Christianity, it wasn't named that yet, but it came, it became part of those five, like a sixth one. So do you think um, that Judaism is um, just something that they want to believe? They don't want, they don't want to believe that Jesus is their Messiah. Yeah, they have arguments. So for example, um, the Jews believe that when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring a thousand years of peace. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, will. <laughs> so when Jesus came, but that's, there was not a thousand years of peace. Right. The problem is, going back into the Old Testament, if they read Isaiah and they read it properly, you have what they call the suffering servant. The suffering servant comes, which was Jesus, okay, to a T. Right. There he is. And the Jews want to reject that book, don't they? Well, they want chapter. to check that chapter, yeah. But Jesus came and he says, I'm going to come again. And you have writings in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You have writings in the New Testament about the coming again, which is called the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, which we call the second coming in the new. It's the same day. Okay. okay? So when, when we have this together, we understand that, the, that Jesus, when he came, uh, at least 65 prophecies were fulfilled in the Old Testament of a Messiah coming. Well, yes. That, yeah. that is in the billions. Like if you were, it's easier to win a lottery ticket right. than to get that correct. So do you think that if Jews really, Jews, today's Jews that really seek their God, they would find Jesus if they really just, just submitted? Well, it's interesting that this question comes from Israel. Because it, it, uh, yeah, actually, yes, it actually did. Yes, it came from Israel. Because there is a movement over there now where people are now reading the New Testament, where there are Jews that are looking at Isaiah. There are Jews that are coming together. There's a uh, there's a worship leader that has been going to Israel for a couple decades now. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Paul Wilbur. He's been going over to Israel, and he's been holding these um, worship and the uh, things where you have 5,000 people coming together worshiping Jesus. Yeah. Okay. And these people are from Israel. Well, they will. <laughs> we know they will at the end. These exactly. Jews will find the truth. Right. So <laughs> basically, the word says. so I think uh-huh. when we look at this, and you look at the, if you look at the New Testament, Paul mm-hmm. even says in Romans 11, he said that he's speaking to the Romans, he's speaking to Gentiles. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you are able to be grafted in to the vine because of the unbelief uh-huh. of those Jews yeah. who are broken off. So we're grafted into Judaism. Right, because because of that. Right. And Judaism, I mean, and then uh, let me go back to where Peter and those 5,000 men uh, turned to Jesus. Mm-hmm. There were also women and children, so we right, just don't know how many. So yes. it could have been 10,000. Well, then he preaches again in Acts and 3,000 more. Mm-hmm. So you have a huge community of Jews who now follow Jesus as their Jewish Messiah. And this went on until the end of the century or longer. Well, I've got plenty of Messianic Jewish friends that yeah. they, they, they know Jesus. And then Paul comes along some years later, and he starts to go through all the uh, Asia Minor and into Greece area, Greek area, and starts to speak to those Gentiles who turn to Jesus. So now you have a whole group of Jews, you have a whole group of Gentiles, both following the Jewish Messiah, okay, mm-hmm. as Judaism. Oh. But you have these group yeah. in the Jews called Judaizers. 
that Paul has a problem with because they're all wanting the the Gentiles to follow the law like right. they followed the law. Right. They need to be circumcised, right. the whole nine right. yards. And Paul is saying, no. You know, so they had this problem. Well, what happens at toward the end, uh, just after the century, uh, Jews basically said, well, if they're not going to follow the law, then we're done. And they leave. And at that time, Christianity, which had its name before then, mm-hmm separated from the Jews and became a Gentile following. Oh, okay. So before it was a Jewish following. But because Paul was trying to make, uh, they uh, they were trying to follow, they were trying to get into being a Jew and they really weren't a Jew. They weren't just looking for the whole, um, what do you put it, the whole um, um, teachings. Yeah, they wanted to. Get, they wanted to. Uh, they, they just didn't want the teachings. They wanted to actually be a Jew by getting circumcised, which they didn't have to to know Jesus. But they did it, and that's where they kind of split off, right? Yeah, and I think to understand that Judaism never excluded Gentiles. You go back in the Bible, you know, in the Jericho days, we have they have a Gentile there to follow to follow the Jews. We have you know Samaritan in, in the Book of Ruth. Well, Ruth. You know, right. uh, so these Jew, these uh, Gentiles became, you know, right. We just have our roots with the, with Judaism, and but we're not Jews, right? And some things I know in the Bible doesn't apply to us; it applies strictly to the Jews. Some things, but a lot of things that we think don't really do. Okay, I, I mean, the, the, like the law. The law really does. Mm-hmm. When you look at the law, the, let's say the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. The Ten Commandments really does to honor God with all your heart, look to have no other God before you. That's Judaism at its core. Yes, it's also Christianity at its core. Right, I agree with you one hundred percent. And it's the same God. Yes. Yes, we have the same God. I was just, I guess what I was trying to say was um, that certain things that God promised for the Jews specifically and yeah. didn't promise for, for the Gentiles. Well, that's true. And he, he did that for certain people, like Abraham has a cer- certain promise. There are a lot of promises that we Gentiles want to grab on all the promises, <laughs> yeah. you know, and which is hideous ours. because some of those promises are only meant for certain things at certain times for certain people, but we want to grab onto them and make them our own. And sometimes right. that's just not right. No, it's not. Yeah, I agree. Okay. That was great. You did great explaining that. I hope um, so. <laughs> that, <laughs> I thought I, you, you did. Know, well, the thing is, is that I've tried to <laughs> avoid that comment in the very beginning of this ministry because I, you know, people shoot at me. Well, now they shoot at me. It's okay. They've seen a lot of my teaching, right? And it's fine. But I really do believe Christianity and Judaism, at their both core belief system, is really all in one. Right. We wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for the Jewish, the Judaism. I mean, right. that's just what it boils down to. We're just not in the same. Um, we're just Gentiles. Yeah. But we were grafted in. Yep, there you go. <laughs> okay, here's another one. This one's from Nigeria. Uh, it says, Son of God and Son of Man. Are they different? Why did Jesus only call himself the Son of Man and not the Son of God? That was kind of like the other question. We kind of <laughs> went into that. <laughs> okay. I've had, I've had this question more than once uh, coming to me in my emails. Okay. So Jesus called him, which I think is interesting. He called himself the Son of Man. A lot. Mm-hmm. And he never called himself the son of God. However, when it was mentioned, like Peter or whatever, mentioned that he was the son of God, he never refuted that. Okay. That's right. He never said he wasn't. So in my studies... And, and he way, never refused worship. I remember that too. Right. In my studies and in, in the way I, I put things together, 
um, and, and I don't know if, if this has a major disagreement against my, my theology in this, uh-huh. but I believe that when Jesus coined the term the Son of Man, I think he's coining the term as deity. Do you? I do. And I think as he is deity. But I think when, when Jesus is called the Son of God, that, that speaks to his humanity. You mean the opposite? Yeah. I think you meant the opposite, right? Son of man is humanity. Son no. Of God. no. No? No. Son of man would be like he is the creator, he is the father, he is the oh, one. No. Oh, son that's of funny because I took it completely opposite. Yeah, I, 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 I always thought it was the opposite. He, as the son of man, it's like we are his children. We are, you know, we are the ones that he has begot, you know, begotten. Uh, son of God, I think, is more of that, that human. He is human. He is deity. He is human. And I think that that brings the idea, because a lot of people say he's only the son of God, which you will find in a lot of Christians around the world. But you also find that in Mormonism and other things, too. Well, son of God doesn't mean he's deity. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, I guess I, that's where I kind of disagree. I hope you don't mind. But I always I always thought the son of man meant he was the example of man. That's the way I took it. And the son of God was he was God. So that that was how I always understood it. Now, I could be very wrong, and you probably have a bunch of scripture and stuff to back that up. I'm sure you do. <laughs> but that was not just my interpretation. I think um, as I've researched a lot of people's ideas, not only in Christianity, uh, but also in other areas, they see that the Son of God is obviously not deity, that he is human. He is just a person. Okay. Um and this is writings from a lot of theologians as well as scholars. Well, I knew you, I knew you'd have backup. It was just so, this was just my thing, my interpretation, yeah. the way I always saw it. But that's where a lot of people will say, "Well, he's not really he's not really God or really deity because they called him the Son of God." Mm-hmm. So therefore, he's not God. He's not part of God. He's not a deity. He's only a human called the Son of God. Well, that's we'll be getting to the Trinity. Well, the yeah. three in one. Well, not no. That's just that's just the one figure, Jesus. We're not going to go into the Holy Spirit at this. We're just focusing on Jesus, right? But I mean, I mean, so he's the second Godhead. Like you know, yeah. That that's why I always thought the Son of God. You know, but I think I think the idea of Jesus calling him the Son of Man elevates the entire idea of Jesus just being a man. Okay, I, I really think that. Okay, well, that's good. Well, when he says that when the Son of Man comes, yeah, that's that's, that's like a Messiah, Godhead. That's the deity. Uh, yeah. Well. Okay. Well, you know, hey, that's good. <laughs> okay. Here's one more. This one's going to be from Moldova. Okay. Why is it so hard to have faith in God? Oh. <laughs> that's word. Okay. Faith. <laughs> What's really funny about faith is that people think that all faith is is something that you believe something, you think something is true, you've got it, you have it in your soul. And and really, the word faith in the English, and as we translate it other places, the, the problem is, is that um, faith is an action verb. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. If you take the word, how we got faith from in uh, the old writings for into Latin, the, the the writing of faith was really, I think the word was fae, F-I-E or something like that. I'm not, I I'm don't not know. positive. Mm-hmm. But when it translated into the English language, they added a T-H. 
because the word pistis, which is spelled P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis, is an action verb. That's that's the Greek word for faith, what we call faith. Mm -hmm. It's an action word. It's something we do. What too many people do is they read Hebrews 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 1, you know, and they think, well, this is the, the total idea and explanation of faith. Mm-hmm. But chapter 11 in Hebrews is the faith chapter. So if you keep on reading, you'll see that faith was when God told um, Noah to build the ark, he built the ark. Mm-hmm. That's an action. Mm-hmm. We told Abraham to take his son, you know, Okay. He, he he went to do that. The action part of that. So it's it's all about following and obedience. So faith doesn't mean obedience, but it has the fingers of obedience built into the and just belief. It kind word. of both of them combine because it's you know how it says we walk by faith and not by sight. Right. So we 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 walk by what we believe. I think it could, it could be a combination. Maybe I think. Well, yeah, because it's something we don't see. Mm-hmm. Just like chapter one verse or chapter eleven verse one, it's something we don't see, but it's something we act on right. in obedience to follow follow God. Mm-hmm. because because of our faith. Yeah. So I think the problem comes with faith is that you have people thinking that it's just something we understand to be true, and it's like believe the word believe, mm-hmm. but it's it's missing that action and obedient uh, undertone, if you will, mm-hmm. into the word from the, the Greek language which is all about action. And if you don't have that, James says, you don't have real faith. It's all about, you know, you, mm-hmm. you have action with it. It's true. You can't just be a, you can't just sit on the lines. You right. got to do something. So, yeah. So, and the same thing with the word believe. Pistuo is an action verb. Pistuo, P-I-S-T. So he has the very a prefix of pistas, P-I-S-T. Is that Hebrew? That's No, it's also Greek. But Greek. it's a Greek word we translate into uh, English for believe. Okay. It's also an action word, mm-hmm. but in our lang- in our dictionary, it's not. Right. But you have to go back to the original language, and yes. it is. I agree. The so. stuff we read in the Bible, we, we, we want to understand it in English, but <laughs> but it's not. We have to we have to like pick up pick words and then go. I always use a blue letter Bible, yeah. and I go in and look at, look and see like specific words and see what that means in, in Hebrew or Greek, whatever it was. It's very helpful. Oh, it is. Yeah, because otherwise we're going to just... And the more you attend English. my class, the more I teach this stuff. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you ready for another one? I'm ready. Okay, let's see here. Um, this one's from Eastern Europe. You said when, you said in one of your videos that Jesus did not come to be born to die. Did not come to be born to die. Please explain, because I learned that he was born for exactly that. Okay. And I've I've seen writers, I've seen pastors, I've seen all kinds of messages mm-hmm. that say Jesus came to, to earth die. to die. That was his purpose, his sole purpose, and I totally disagree with that. That was just part of it. That was that, that was, was a part of it. Jesus said, product. "I come that you may have life, <laughs> life and have it abundantly." Mm-hmm. So, in Jesus' own words, He said, "He came to give us life." Yes, have it in the full. So, we too often we talk about you know um, we're we're saved from hell, but we miss the part that we're saved into life. 
It's true. We're saved into living. Right. We're saved into joy. We're saved into holiness. We're saved into a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came. Yes, he came in order that he ha- he must to he live had to die. Life, right. mm-hmm. Yes, he had to do that. There's so much in between. He came to teach us and show us how to live and, and everything along with it. Not just he came to die for the final product for us. Right. He had to be our example. Yes. He had to, he had to do that. He had to live a sinless life in order to die a sinless you know death yes and so that had to happen so when he lived his sinless life and he became our example what was he doing he was showing us how to live not how to die he was showing us how to live in him for him and become like him right which didn't mean that we had to go find a cross somewhere and be nailed to it it meant we had to turn our life into joy and rejoice mm-hmm. and become holy and live like Jesus. Right. And he's always there to help us and know that, yeah. you know, he's always with us. That, that's the bottom yeah. line. So I, I think, I think a lot of times we, we get on this, this uh, journey, if you will, mm-hmm. of listening to somebody, watching somebody speak or reading something, and that's their message, right. and, and they've eliminated all these other things. All right, they just forget, yeah. what did Jesus do? He would Why? He didn't come here just to die. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, he would have just been born and then died. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, here's another question. This one's going to be from Western Europe. We worship on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day, and Jesus arose from the dead on Sunday. I don't understand why there is an issue between Saturday the Sabbath and Sunday. Christianity has always been doing this for hundreds of years. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know I don't like that one either. Well, you but, know, the problem is there there are probably thousands of people that have this argument in Christianity and one of the problems with this particular issue is is turn people into legalism. Right. So, I agree. Yeah, I will only want to worship on Sunday. I don't want to be legalistic and do the Saturday thing. Well, you're being legalistic already. Right. And those saying, well, you know, the Bible says we need to worship on Saturday, on the Sabbath, rather. It doesn't say Saturday. It says the Sabbath. And therefore, it says the Sabbath is forever, et cetera, et cetera. So they only do it on the Sabbath, which... But there's was, so many other things. The same people that do that on the Sabbath also don't follow the rest of it which doesn't make sense to me. They don't follow everything else. They'll, they'll, you know, I'm saying they'll, they, they're real sticklers about the Sabbath, but then when you get down to the others, I've noticed, uh, I have a cousin that does that. The, the second, that was the second Adventist, seventh day Adventist. They're the ones that really get into the Saturdays I know. And, uh, I mean, I think they're still Christians. It's just the fact that they just, they just got to do that. I don't think it matters what day we go to church, actually. I think as long as we we just gather together, uh, that's for fellowship and for the Lord and, and communion and all that. Well, I, I believe that if we go back to Genesis, God, you know, he created in six days. He worked for six days and he rested on the seventh, which was the Sabbath. And we, we take that before the, the law came. That was part of what we uh, started doing then. See, the law came actually after the, the Jews left Egypt. It was like they were brainwashed or they had all this stuff going on from mm-hmm. Egypt uh-huh. coming into what God wanted. So I think the reason why he gave us the law is to give us life and gave us liberty, mm-hmm. give us freedom of, how, you know, because in, in Egypt they were oppressed, which meant that they could do something minor and get punished in a major way. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, There's things that were just bad because of the oppression. So when God gave the law, it was to give them freedom. Mm -hmm. David says this in his Psalms. The law is life. It's liberty. Mm -hmm. It's freedom. And I think that once we understand that he gave the law to help us learn how to love, learn Learn how how to live. live, learn how to be righteous and holy before God and before each other, Mm -hmm. then we understand that the law was not about a bunch of rules and regulations. It was all about living in relationships for, for that honored each other, honored society, honored God. Right. And God didn't come to give us a guilt trip. Right. I mean, people, that's the problem with religion. They, they're always on a guilt trip. Yeah. And with Christ, you're not because Jesus came to set us free. Yeah. Well, I think, I think when it comes to the Sabbath, you know, because I, I have to be really honest. I, I struggle a little bit back and forth with that. Now, my, my Saturday is pretty laid back and I do go to uh, <laughs> assembly or church or whatever on Saturday nights, but I also go on Sunday because I teach mm-hmm. and so forth. So the, the whole weekend is kind of my, my do, my do. I get it. I'm, I just, I don't think it really matters. I guess it's just kind of the way you, you want to do it. Uh, like I, I grew up on do going Sunday and then they changed uh, to Saturdays and I was like, okay. And it was just, I don't know. I think it's just a matter of just having a gathering with, yeah. with us. So I, I think the Sabbath, what's important about the Sabbath, first off, it's not about worship. So if you're saying we go to Sunday to worship, that's incorrect. We mm-hmm. go to the Sabbath day to worship, that's incorrect. It, doesn't, it never says to worship the Sabbath or on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to remember and remember. It's a day of remembrance and honoring. It's a day of rest. Of rest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in all that, what are they remembering? What they did back then on the Sabbath was they had family togetherness, and the patriarch of the family would basically recite what what was the Bible, what we have in writing now, what they didn't have in writing years ago. Mm-hmm. So they would that they would verbally, you know, talk and, and give the story of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of the Sabbath right there, to remember, mm-hmm. to have all this. Now resting has a lot to do with your not your just your spiritual health, but Medicine today says resting one day a week helps your physical health, your emotional health, your mental health. God knew what he was talking about, didn't he? Exactly. So so we make everything in the Bible spiritual, you know. But, but really, God wants to take care of us physically, he too. Mm-hmm. And he did say that. It wasn't made for, uh, it wasn't, it was made for man. Yeah. It was made for us to rest. Yeah. And um, so... Um, that's good. That's good. But I, I want to finish with that. Sure. Because it is such a big issue. Mm-hmm. If we, in today's world, it's really hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard if you work on a Saturday or work on a Sunday or whatever. You do have to have a day of rest. You just have to have yeah. it. But the thing is, it's a, I think it's important. In looking at Jesus, what I've learned and what I was taught by a really intelligent spiritual mentor of mine uh, said, you know, a lot of things that Jesus did, including the thing of the Sabbath, is he in the law, was he taught that there was a spiritual sense about all that, not just a legalistic sense of it. And I think when Jesus dealt with the Pharisees, 
he dealt with them on a legalistic basis because that's yeah. where they were coming from. But he was trying to teach them that, you know, it's the spirit of the Sabbath. It's the spirit of the law. That's good. Yes. And I think that if we mm-hmm. as believers understand that we need to live in the spirit of the law and the spirit of the Sabbath in the spirit of Christianity. Mm-hmm. OK, then I think we have a better grasp of what it is to be a believer. I agree with you. And, and, and I just feel, I always think that Sundays are just so peaceful. And I don't know if it's just because the Lord gives me that or if it's just the way I was brought up. Or, but yeah. I always feel like I'm always at peace. And it's a day of just doing whatever and just laying loose and, and that. Well, if you read history, okay, in history, you find that the early church, back in the days of the Apostle Paul and a little after that, they were meeting on Saturdays. They were meeting at the, you know, and that's the day of their their Sabbath was on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. But then people like Paul, when he was Saul, would go out with letters to find these Jews mm-hmm. worshiping Jesus or other, you know, which was under God, which was blasphemy, had the right to persecute these Jews. Mind, remember, I said Christianity was a Jewish religion. This was a Jewish thing got in. I shouldn't say Jewish religion, Jewish following. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so what they did was they started hiding by meeting on Sundays. So when persecutors would go out looking for them on Saturdays, they they weren't there to be worshiping. Okay, so they were meeting on Sundays. Well, it kind of went hand in hand with the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire, all of their religion Okay, and all of their worship of their gods happened on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So with the Jews now meeting on Sundays, who were believers of Jesus meeting on Sundays, it, it kind of flowed right in with the Romans as well. And this happened for hundreds of years until Constantine became a believer, who's you know a mm-hmm. Roman Empire. Well, he Roman started Emperor, it. Mm-hmm. And he he made uh Sunday an official day. Of worship for Christianity. So that's how it became official in the Roman Empire. Okay. And then about three to five years later, the Catholic Church mm-hmm. made it the, the, the day, legal day the in, day in Catholicism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of the church made Sunday the legal ho- the holiday, official holiday for for the Christianity at Catholicism. But we know better. We we know that it doesn't really, I, I, I know it doesn't really matter, but I do set aside a Saturday or a Sunday, usually a Sunday for me, just because, you yeah. know, just the way I yeah. am. Yeah, and, and uh, but about worship, that's where people, a majority of Christians have it wrong. Worship is something we do every day to God. The, the definition of worship isn't singing songs and reading right. our Bible and listening to a sermon. Just that everything is, put together. Just well, everything. Obedience. Worship. Yeah. Worship is. Let me see if I can get a good definition. Okay. It's the giving of myself to God as a gift. 100% all of me, my total surrender, my total yielding to him to be his. That's great. That's worship. That's a good definition. And that's not on Saturday or Sunday. That's every, every day, day of their life. Yeah, okay. That's great. And that's why it, we don't go, we shouldn't go to a weekend to worship. We should be doing that uh, the way we live. Yes, I agree. That was great. Okay. We ready for another one? We're ready for another okay. one. Uh, this one's going to be from Brazil. If we are saved by grace alone, then why do so many speak of the law and acts of works? 
Okay. So to debunk that idea, we're saved by grace alone, it's false. We're not saved by grace alone. That That's a man-made the theology, okay? In in Ephesians chapter 2, it says we're saved by, by grace through faith. faith. Okay? Yeah, that's good. So it's faith, which is the action of obedience, the action of following, okay, doing what God wants us to do. Right. And grace... Grace and, and is just something God gives us. He gives it to us as his mercy. And I can't say mercy and grace are the same. Right. But it's just an addition. But grace was grace is also favor. very evident in the Old Testament. God gave grace to the Jews over and over and over again. In fact, if you read the Old Testament and it's compared with the New Testament, there are more actions and more teachings of grace in the Old Testament by far, ever, than the New Testament. I always think of grace differentiating from mercy, right, as being favor. Mercy is something that we need to get. You know, it's something God gives us mercy. And and grace, I always think, is an audition to something. That's that's the way I always type. What do you think? Grace, I mean, uh, mercy is something God gives us that we don't deserve. Yes. Grace is, is God's unmerited favor. I mean, mm-hmm. it just he just gives it to us freely. Um, it's like when the Jews, when the Jews go off one direction and they're disobeying God and God sends a prophet and says, hey, you're going the wrong direction. You need to turn around. That's God's grace. Right. And they turn around and they start following. Now, the last part of that question, what did it say? Um, works? It says, then why do so many speak of the law and acts of works? Okay. So that's, again, you're talking about the law as a legalistic do's and don'ts. See, that's where uh-huh. the teaching's wrong. It, it's the law is about the relationship we have with one another and honoring society, honoring one another, honoring God. It's a relationship, the way we work in those relationships. Mm-hmm. And works, we're not saved by works. Mm-hmm. We're not saved by the law. In fact, the law was never written for salvation. That that there is a misnomer. Right. All you Christians that think that the law was written for salvation, it's not true. The law was written so that we have a better understanding of how to live a righteous life. To make us see. In, in relationships. To make us see our sin. The well, law, no, in, not no. necessarily. No. It, it's so that we learn not to sin and we learn to honor one another and we learn to honor God. That was the law. Now the law became legalistic through time. I see. You know, mm-hmm. and through like the scribes and Pharisees. They they made it legalistic. Mm-hmm. Just like we make a lot of Christianity legalistic. Yes. You know, we, we get saved by doing being good. Yes. You see, those or are the tattoos with a with a mark of the devil or remember <laughs> When I first got saved, I thought, oh, my gosh, I was so legalistic. I was terrible. <laughs> it took me years for God to say, hit me on the side of the head saying, what are you doing? That's not yeah. true. <laughs> but we're created. If you read back again in chapter 2 of Ephesians, I think it's verse 10, it says we're made for good works. In other words, we're made to be holy. We're mm-hmm. made to be righteous. Right. We're made to live in a way that honors God. Jesus, honors mm-hmm. God. That's right. That's important. It doesn't right. give us salvation. It helps us to become what God created. Right. In the beginning, it says that in Genesis, God created us in his own image. Mm-hmm. How does that look? That looks like holiness. Right. It looks like love. It looks like kindness. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like righteousness. Mm-hmm. It looks like joy. It looks like mm-hmm. patience. Though That's how God created us. So when we talk about good works, our goal is to be that. Right. 
Okay, so mm-hmm. that's the works we're trying to look at mm-hmm. to become like Him. Right, we want to shine our light for Christ is what we're doing. Well, yeah, and, and God says, be holy because I'm holy. holy. Mm-hmm. And so that's the good works we, we need to look at. Not yes. that it gives us salvation, but it makes us, in, it makes us become what we're created to be. Right, very good, very good. That was awesome. <laughs> okay, another question. Uh, this is from the United States. Okay. Uh, there is a very famous TV preacher who teaches the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased and are no more. The doctrine of cessation. Sensationism. What do you say? Okay, I know a couple of TV preachers who believe this. I know one in particular. I won't name his name in the one in California, Los Angeles. I really didn't say all that, but I'll forget what <laughs> his sure. name is for the next five minutes. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, yes, that is really bad because the Bible never gives us any idea that, that, that those gifts of the Spirit were only given to... Um, the apostles of the time. And that's mm-hmm. what cessationism is, yes. is that the, whole, the gifts of the Spirit were, were given at the time of the early church to those apostles, and they're over. Right. And, some, and of these, some of these famous TV preachers, like the one in L- L.A., you know, and, um, they teach this, I know and they, they believe this strongly. Now, I don't know why they believe this. There's no either. evidence scripturally. There's nothing. I don't that, either, but I've heard that before, too, that they're, uh, they're, they're not of today. Well, I had a I had a question one time from somebody in Africa. I don't know if it was Kenya or Nigeria. They asked why uh, he didn't see if the Holy Spirit is supposed to fill us and we have power. Why doesn't he see power and powerful wonders happening? Mm-hmm. And my answer to him uh, when I wrote him, I said, well, it may all be because uh, the idea of being saved has been watered down and maybe we don't live in a society where there's real power like we see in the New Testament. We have a low view of God, a lot of us do. Well, And then we don't really see God for who he is, the almightiness, the awesomeness he is. And we don't. I think before that, I uh, think we don't see that the power of the Holy Spirit gives us real power. Power of miracles, powers of healings, power, and we don't see that. And I think that's because we kind of, in our day and age, we kind of just want to fumble around through life and become a Christian without having to do any mm-hmm. extra work. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. But a lot of people just uh, think it is uh, just uh, something that's not. It's 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 kind of weird. You know, and that's and it's not. Yeah, and I think another problem we have is these miracle workers that go out and preach and do oh, and, and do these miracles extreme, and they're and, and they're and they're fake, and we've we, they've found out to be false. Yeah, that, some of them have actually gotten off the radar because they've been exposed, and then other people believe, well, obviously like it's not real because they see look at all the fake that's, people. That's, this is what gives Christianity a bad, a, a, yeah. you know, a, a bad and it's real bad. And maybe this is why these mm-hmm. famous TV preachers that can't so. remember his name for the life of me, you know. No, I can't uh, either. <laughs> <laughs> but we, he knows who he is. <laughs> well, yeah, he's yeah. very, very, very popular. But he, he's got some, I mean, I mean there's teachings that, uh, that are okay. And then there's teachings like this one that are really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, in when, fact, when Jesus left, remember he told us to go out and, and do all this stuff. And you're going to be greater than what I did. Right. So he, but see, their teaching is that he's talking to the disciples, that only the disciples and apostles will have that. 
Oh, yeah, well. See. No, and, that was meant for all of us that are right. Christians. And I, I agree. I believe that totally. Mm. But, and I've, I've known people. We I've just got to exercise it. I've seen, I've seen those things happen. So I don't think that it's, it's gone away. I've seen, personally seen miracles. I've personally seen things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with some of the way that some of the churches express some of the gifts. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Sometimes I think they mean well, and sometimes I really don't know if they're, I mean, I've, I've been to these churches um, that, you know, they the spirit and they fall back and all that. Well, I kind of believe that. But then also, and, the, and I believe that speaking in tongues is valid. And, but I don't believe some of these churches get together and speak in tongues at the same time because that's not biblical. Right. You know, and stuff like that. So the gifts of the spirit, I believe they're still here too. Yeah. So I think that it's important, it's important to search your Bible, study it, your scriptures, and then have a, have a decent look on it rather than just, if you don't understand it, just say, well, it's not here because you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I think. This, I agree. Some of these teacher, preacher, TV. Christ. I don't know why they, people do that, though. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way they're, they have a strictness in their mind that it's not, that's it. And they don't believe it. They think it's weird or something. Well, I think it's, if it's out of sight, it doesn't exist. If they mm-hmm. don't understand it, it doesn't exist. I think that's their thinking. I could be wrong, but I knew somebody. That's exactly why they believe that it was not around any longer. I was in a Bible group, too, and they just didn't believe in like the speaking of tongues. Yeah. or You just thought it was strange. Yeah. Are we running out of time? We are out of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's great. Well, there you are for today. We've run out of time. I'm sure we have many more questions. We'll get to them some other day. Yeah, but thank so. you for joining us. Everyone, you have a wonderful and blessed day. Aloha. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.